97% of salespeople are missing this one thing that if they only knew it would allow them to close 75% more sales. It has nothing to do with charisma, the gift of gab, or whatever else you've been told. Because if you're trying to convince your customer, that means they don't want to buy, which means you've already lost the sale. What sales professionals do is sell customers exactly what they want to buy. They work with the customer to uncover their current challenges, the consequences of those challenges, and how that's impacting them. They then help the prospect describe the ideal solution to their problems, what that looks like, and how that perfect outcome will impact them. And once they can picture that perfect outcome, price is irrelevant. That's right. Sales professionals sell customers exactly what they want to buy because it's easier dealing with a happy customer than dealing with a customer who felt sold. So here's the deal. I explain everything in my live two-day sales workshop, June 14th and 15th in my office. Go to closemoresales.com workshop and you'll be able to close more sales as soon as you get back. Hey, everybody. Thank you for joining us for today's episode of Certainty Talks. On this show, we talk about certainty, a topic that feels more important today than ever before, but all in all, always an important topic. We have my good friend and business partner in the Whale Club here, Paul Sparks, not only a successful real estate investor, but also a certified certainty advisor. Now, we do this show because a wise man once asked a question. You look at the last three years of your business and took all the months that were negative and turned them into zeros. Well, what happened to your bottom line? And that wise man is Dan Nicholson. Now, we're also here to help you achieve financial certainty through real estate by rigging the game in your favor. I'm also on a mission to create 100 millionaires. The information on this podcast alone is enough to help you become a millionaire in the next five to seven years. If you'll take consistent action, you will become one. If you get value today, please share this episode. That way we can all grow together. And you guys are going to hear us talking about some things that might sound a little weird, might sound confusing. That's okay. Keep the loop open. I promise you it will make sense later on. And please write your takeaways in the live chat. And after you thought about it, put in your six-word updates in the comments below. So today's title is How to Know When Your Business Will Break. And before we get into that, Paul, what do you got for your six-word update? Due to what I do well. So that's my six-word update oh, today. Awesome. Uh, for me, my six-word update is uh, calling bullshit is a learnable skill. Um, so you sent me a link to some videos, and it's like, I love what these guys say because this is what I really do, but he teaches you how to say it in a way that doesn't hurt people's feelings, yeah. right? <laughs> so I was like, I'm already good at the first part. Protecting their feelings, that one becomes a little bit more challenging. So I'm super excited about going through this, uh, this college course <laughs> that you sent me. Yeah. I'm going to audit it. Yeah, so. and we have this available uh, inside of our Whale Club community. So, you know, this was, what was it? Seattle U is that where it's at? I forget. It's been somewhere in Washington. Somewhere in Washington, yeah. And uh, you know, it's an entire class called "Calling Bullshit" and how to <laughs> identify when people are um, oftentimes exaggerating or being hyperbolic or just flat out lying. You know, I just uh, actually I'm, I've got it right here. I just got through finished uh, finished reading this book, "Talking to Strangers." And Malcolm Gladwell talks about this, how like there's a lot of bullshit floating around, right? And how do we sift through that? And uh, mm -hmm. this was a fantastic course. So we've got that available in our community. If you guys want to get in there and, and grab it and listen to it, I highly recommend it. Yeah. Not only uh, is there a lot of it out there, 
we don't call BS on it, we contribute to it, and so on. So maybe that could potentially be a future episode. We'll just kind of talk about that topic in gen- uh, uh, specifically. Can we say bullshit uh, on this show? I didn't know if we could say bullshit. Uh, well, that, we're, but... we've already you know, <laughs> crossed that threshold. Um, it was part of my 6 word update. I don't know what else to, to do here. So, uh, so we were talking about some of the challenges, right, in, in growing our businesses uh, is that as we grow and scale, we run into these challenges. What I know now wasn't easily preventable or something to be completely aware of, but we didn't. So I would grow... Like it, when it was by myself, I just worked really hard, but it was fine. Hire an employee. We sit within, you know, if we're not within talking distance, we are at least within shouting distance of one another. And communication wasn't terrible. It wasn't excellent, but it wasn't terrible. But once we added a couple more employees, potentially a remote location, Things got really hard. So talk about that. Mm-hmm. Well, so Dan references this as part of one of his growth principles in Rigging the Game. So if you've read Rigging the Game, you've probably heard of the rule of three and ten. And uh, let me tell you a little bit of history and backstory on the rule of three and ten. So there was a, uh, a guy named Hiroshi Mikitani. And Hiroshi Mikitani started a company called Rakuten. I'm sure a lot of people who are listening to this are familiar with that. It was a Japanese company, and they are, you know, multi-billion dollar company now. He's been a very, very successful business owner, entrepreneur. And he said, he was the one that coined this term, the rule of three and ten. And what he said is basically, every everything breaks at roughly every third and 10th step. And he used that philosophy to build Rakuten and to build these, you know, businesses. I, I believe he owns another couple of businesses. I don't know enough about him. I was just studying the rule of three of 10, but the idea being every time your business goes from, let's say one employee to three employees, everything's going to break. Mm-hmm. Every time your business goes from three employees to 10 employees, everything's going to break. Another way of saying that too might be every time your business goes from three deals, you go from three deals a month to 10 deals a month, everything's going to break. You know, the employees, the, the, the structure, the, um, the CRM that you use, the marketing that you're using, the sales, all of the, just the infrastructure that we, that we use to build our businesses. It's actually fairly predictable mm-hmm. that every time, you know, we hit a, a third step or a 10th step. He actually says this as at multiples of three and powers of 10. But for simplifying this, we'll just say that every you know time your business triples or increases by an order of magnitude of 10, it's pretty predictable. Those things are going to break. Right. And you're talking about like one of the commandments we have or principles we follow is preventing bad things from happening. So how do I apply this principle to prevent bad things from happening? Yeah, well, I think first is uh, this just highlights, I think, the power of the certainty operating system Mm -hmm. is Dan has done such a fantastic job of giving a roadmap on how to build and grow a business. So first of all, 
it, I think it just takes recognizing it. I, maybe we all un, intuitively understand that what what gets you to three deals a month is not going to get you to 10 deals a month. You're going to mm -hmm. have to reinvent the business along the way. But I think it first starts by recognizing that that's the case. So, you know, or you'll do what I did, which is you'll get there and you'll be like, why did everything break? Why is this not working anymore? Yeah. Right. Well, I'm kind of thinking there's, um, you know, Larry Yatch, I had the great honor of, of, of being mentored by him, right? The former Navy SEAL. And he kind of goes through like there's these four dials, right? There's the, the marketing, sales, there's the fulfillment and then the administrative components of it, right? So there's four dials that are all critical to a, a successful transaction, a successful, a, a, a process where everyone walks away not pissed off, right? That's the standard. I would love for everyone to be elated and happy all the time, but really, if everyone can go home without being stressed, like that is the <laughs> barrier for success here. And so as a business owner, I don't ask questions like, how can I service three times as many deals? I always ask, Paul, how do I triple my business? How do I get three times more transactions? There's never a follow-up question like, hey, how can I get three more transactions? How can I have, make sure I have my team prepared for it? And how's, also, how can I make sure that the administrative team can make sure they can fulfill all the orders and that, again, everyone's happy, that we can make sure we get five-star reviews from every single homeowner and repeat the process. Mm -hmm. Well, and uh, yeah, so it's like if you, if you com completely blow, let's say, marketing out of the water and you're yeah. trying to triple your outbound marketing, let's say you're going from $10,000 a month in marketing spend and you're like, okay, well, here's what we're going to do. We're, we're cold calling and texting right now, but we want to add direct mail. We want to add pay-per-click and we want to increase that budget to $30,000 a month because we just had two or three incredible months, high watermark stuff, right? High month paradigm. Yeah, the, we talked about that. Yeah, on the new show. record that is now our new standard. <laughs> right. And so what do all of us real estate investors do? We're like, okay, well, I'm going to take that money. I'm going to reinvest it back into my business and I'm going to grow. And, you know, we have a phrase on our team that I like to say, it's like, it's like driving traffic over a bridge that's not stable. You know? Yeah. We might be able to get a bunch more cars to drive over this bridge. I get that. But if the bridge collapses, what good does that do? Right. And yeah. so it, it comes back to your Larry, you know, your Larry Atch comment. Like if you're, if you're focusing on increasing your uh, marketing by a magnitude of three, it's fairly predictable at a, I mean, at a really high level to say you're going to create multiple breakpoints at certain, you know, in the sales, in the fulfillment, or in the right. administration side. Yeah, I mean, we got the answer rate might go down, speed the lead might go down, uh, we might be spinning their wheels, they might be going to appointments all over the valley and not able to coordinate because they're going to if it. If we're running in a business exactly right and we're able to triple the marketing to get triple the leads, our salespeople have to go on three times as many appointments if everything goes perfectly. And we just assume our one or two or three salespeople that were able to handle X amount of leads, it's just going to step up and get three times as many leads. And that should be nothing bad, nothing wrong can happen here. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, and, and personnel is an interesting thing, right? Uh the salesperson, and I know I don't want this to sound 
this is just going to sound like it sounds. I'm just going to say it like it like it is. The person who gets you to three deals a month, mm-hmm. very is it's it's almost I would suggest it's like unlikely they are the person that's going to get you to ten deals a month, right? Um, because they're probably a really high contributor. They're probably someone who plays well by themselves. But what you need to get to ten deals a month is a very different profile of of a person you need more of a manager you need a mm-hmm. sales manager as opposed to a you know a headhunter right like a sniper you know mm-hmm. that salesperson who is so good on their own they're getting three deals a month and they're crushing it yeah uh, so then you got that and then let's just assume we magically figured out that part and we got it right we magically got that second part right we got marketing and triple we spent triple on marketing and we got triple as, as the leads and we managed to get the sales right and the sales guys don't lose their minds. We have three times as many escrows, and we just expect our team to just handle it. Yeah. We expect not only the team to handle it, but we also expect all the processes and systems to also be able to handle it. Right. This makes me think about Stephanie Betters with Left Main. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the product that she has is probably overkill for someone doing one to two deals a month. Yeah. Right. And Mm -hmm. it might even be overkill for someone doing three deals a month. You may not need all of the systems needed to do that, but it certainly can, can be a massively, uh, hugely beneficial tool. If you're doing 10 deals a month, it also can support 30 deals a month An Eric Brewer size business. Right? right. And so part of one of the things that, that I started thinking about as I was growing my business past three deals a month was, well, I'm probably going to have a break point at 10. Do I really want to spend all this time in finding a CRM that could do 10 deals a month? Or do I want to overbuild this so that I can grow past 10 deals a month and I don't have to circle back to like, now we got to redo this again. Yeah, got to build another so, CRM. Build another CRM. I mean, that's a, such a huge pain. It'll set you back six months, right? It takes right. a while to get that stuff built in. So, you know, these are the types of things that as a business owner, if you're aware of it, if you can predict that, hey, things are likely to break at a certain point in the business as you're scaling and growing. Okay, so what do we do with that information? And back to what you were saying about the parenting frame, it's really, well, how do we prevent bad things from happening? It might mean just, first of all, being aware that this is yeah. coming, you know, not being surprised when all of a sudden, when you, you, you grow sales or you grow marketing and you grow sales and then, you know, all of a sudden your contracts are dropping out left and right because maybe you don't have dispo dialed in. Right. Well, that's predictable. A lot of people are feeling that pain. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, I think this is there's there's a couple things that I wrote here as just like signs, signs that you're coming up to a break point. Um, I knew that I was coming up to a break point because I started to resent my business a little bit. You know, I don't know if that's uh, if anybody else has felt that, but like, you know, one thing. Uh, about about me is that I'm not an excellent operator. I don't really want to be. I'm more of that salesperson that can get those deals, three deals a month. But if we grew to 10, 
I would, that's not me. Like that's not, that's, I'm the person that would not make it in that new organization. Yeah. Um, so, you know, part of like my six word update today was reducing complexity to play my game. So I think it goes back a little bit to like, you got to know your own strengths. You got to know your own biases. You got to know what you're good at because I grew my business and I started being like, I don't like this. It's breaking. It's causing me to not play my game. And I started realizing, oh, right. It's because you grew to a point where when you were doing one to two deals a month, but then you went to like however many we were doing, things started to break. It started to cause me a bunch of, you know, resentment. I don't, do I really like this? Do I really want to do mm. this? Is this what I want? Um, and so that was one of the first signs for me. Well, you know, um, Gary Harper talks about this, right? He talks about the five like stages of growth. First stage is, you know, solopreneur, right? We all have been there. Stage two is like you're growing and like this kind of sucks. And then stage three is, oh, you've, you stabilize. And now you got a business that it's fun again, right? But it kind of sucks to go from stage one to stage three because you got to go through this valley of death in stage two. Yeah. And then when you go from where stage three to like an Eric Brewer level, right? You've got to go from stage four to stage five. And stage five is great because you're not actively involved in your business and it's just printing money. But to get there, you got to go through stage four where you got to deal with all this management, processes, procedures, everything's going to be dialed in. And if it's not a 10 out of 10, someone is getting screamed at. Like it just causes all these massive complexities. Yeah. And so, you know, and what, what Gary talks about is it does not make sense to go to stage five unless you've got massive clarity on your purpose. Yeah. If, there, if this is not hitting home spiritually or, you know, massive fulfillment, to grow, to have a business that large, if it's that hitting a purpose that gives you that drives massive fulfillment, it doesn't make sense. It's better to stay at a level where you're doing that kind of business you want to do, and you don't have to lose sleep. So. Yeah, so well said. I'm sure Gary would, um, he'd be like, the rule of three to ten is exactly what I see in practice, right? Yeah. It, it and it's it's not like I used to take it as you know I I struggle with comparison. I see other people who are building these incredible businesses and because I'm so competitive, I want what they have. It's like, you know, the kid who didn't want to play with the toy until another kid is playing with the toy. <laughs> and all of a sudden you're like, Hey, that's my toy. I want that toy. And, and I struggle with that really, really bad. And so I have a tendency to do things just to prove to other people that I can do them. Mm -hmm. And again, that's, that's not a great way to build a business, right? So I no. had I found that I actually don't want to build a, 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 in scale a business. I started bumping up against that next level and saying, ooh, I don't like this. It's starting to get more complex. The reason I got into this in the first place completely changed when I got to a, a different level in the business. Now it's about something else. And I realized, okay, well, I don't really want that. So – why don't we reduce the complexity, pull back and keep our team small? And, you know, that took a little while for me to like get over that in my own head. Mm -hmm. But boy, does it feel much more light, you know, being where I'm at. I look for one deal a month now. That's it. It just needs to be $100,000 or more. Right? right. I'm looking for bigger deals. Um, and again, it allows me to play. Yeah, it allows me to play my game. So predictable. So for someone listening right now, right, whether it's going from one deal's 
one deal a month to three deals a month or from three deals a month to 10 deals a month. Like what are, like we're, so we're telling them, here's where things are going to break. So what can they do to prevent them from breaking? Or is it just like, it's going to break and that's just the way it is? Yes, it's going to break and that's the way it is. Yeah. That's kind of what he's, what he's saying with the rule of three yeah. to 10. That's been my experience. Yeah. So, is- so then I guess all we can do then at this moment, so let you know, let you guys know that if something bad is going to happen, <laughs> be prepared for it. But, uh, and it's kind of like the, you know, we use the turkey story, right? And I'm totally taking this from anti-fragile here, right? Like, you know, the turkey, turkey's got a great life. From the day the turkey is hatched, they're fed, they're taken care of, they're provided a home, the home is clean on a regular basis. Everything's pretty good. All resources that are required to sustain a good life are readily available. And then one day, a surprise occurs. That one day, you get pulled over to the chopping block, literally, and your head gets chopped off. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Right? Yeah, he wasn't preventing bad things from happening, was he? (laughs) He was definitely not preventing bad things from happening. But that's kind of what you're saying for the rule of three and ten. It's just like, things are going to be good. They're going to be good. And you hit the point where you're just going to run into a wall. And that's just the way it is. Be mentally prepared, whether financially or whatever, that something bad is going to happen. Yeah. I mean, look, we're not here to sugarcoat it. Business is yeah. hard. Like, mm-hmm. if you don't understand that, then you probably shouldn't be in business. Yeah. Like, that's it. Is as you business as your business is growing, don't be the turkey. Like, recognize that there's going to be certain things that are going to come. Mm-hmm. And what we would rather do is not, you know, turn a blind eye to it and just like get be closed off and hope that every, you know, this, this hopium, right. We're all hopped yeah. up on hopium, hoping that it's always going to be great. Well, that's not what a good business owner does yeah. according to, uh, 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 Hiroshi Makitani, right. The yeah. idea here is if we know it's coming, what can we do to prepare ourselves mentally? What can we do to prepare our team? Um, you know, I, I had a couple other signs here that it might be coming. Sure. One of the oh, things that I started noticing is that, well, first of all, is like you, you, you might, you might have a little bit of resentment for your business, right? Doesn't mean that you, you shouldn't push through it. But what I'm saying is you might be butting up against one of these breakpoints if you loved your business and then all of a sudden it's becoming like a grind and you don't love it anymore. You might be right in the midst of one of these breakpoints which means you might need to think about reinventing your business. The second thing I wrote was you have less cash, but more revenue because scaling does not mean necessarily you're more profitable. It just means you're spending more. It just means there's more revenue. Yeah. Yeah. So you might actually have less cash as you're growing your business. That could be a sign that you're butting up against one of these breakpoints. Third thing I wrote, and I've got four of these. So first was you want to shrink your business. Like you don't like the size of the business that you're at. It was easier when it was smaller. Okay. That could be you're running up into a breakpoint. Second is less cash, but more revenue. Third thing is your employees are dominating your time. Right. So when you were small, when you had a a small team, you had a lead manager, an acquisitions manager and a dispo. Right. And it's like, well, it's very predictable. 
But now you dumped in triple the marketing costs. So you've got to go out and get another lead manager, maybe even two, which means now you've got to have at least another salesperson. Mm -hmm. And now that you're doing all these additional transactions, you bring on a transaction coordinator and you start adding all these complexities to your business. And these employees are just like vampires for your time. Yeah. I, you can tell how I feel about employees. <laughs> uh, uh, it's yeah. not a bad thing. It's just like saying, if you start rec realizing, um, Randy Massengale said that every employee you add is adding a minimum of four hours to your work week. Mm -hmm. So if you've got five people directly reporting to you and you before, well, let's say you have 10 people reporting to you now, you're probably spending 40 hours a week just dealing with employees. Whereas yeah. when you had three, you only were dealing with it with 12 people. Right. So now you're not necessarily the, you know, visionary salesperson. You've mm -hmm. become Mr. Manager, Mr. or Mrs. Manager. And you're yeah. like, well, I didn't want to become Mr. or Mrs. Manager. It's like, well, that's, that's what the rule of 10 is trying to tell us. It's very mm -hmm. predictable. What's the fourth um, sign? Fourth thing is, because of that, you spending less time in your genius zone. You know, so I started realizing that as my team was growing, I was becoming more of a manager and it gave me less time to, to be in my genius zone. And for me, that's sales, raising money, finding $100,000 deals and up, like working on this big vision that you and I have for Whale Club and Right. bridging the worlds of blockchain and real estate and all this sort of stuff. And that's my genius zone, but I found myself being a manager. Yeah. So there's a few different things I want to touch on here. Cause you talk about, you know, cash traps. So that was like the first 10 years of my career. Like every time we grew, there's less and less cash. Right. The question we've asked is like, I'm making a lot of freaking money, but where the heck is it? Right. Maybe even more colorful words. Um, and they were talking about scaling. Wholesaling scaling, right. Is one thing. Flipping scaling is a whole nother thing. Right. So when you're scaling flipping, there's substantial amounts of cash out on the street for every single flip. So you're flipping one house a month, or maybe you're flipping a house one every three months. Cash goes out, cash comes back. And you can do this all day. Then you're doing one house a month, but hey, you know, cash goes out, cash comes back in. Then you get to two houses. Now there's money out on the street for two houses. But you can kind of get it going. And then you got money out on the street for three houses. When you're doing three houses, right, 10%, just to say, let's just say you found a really good hard money partner, Yavi, for example, right? Put 10% down for three different properties. That's 30% of a house, right? So you're profitable, right? You're showing month in, month out, you're running a profitable business and you've got no cash to show for it because it's out on the streets. Balance sheet looks great. PL looks great. Cash flow is being strangled. Mm -hmm. And that's something that a lot of people don't realize. So you go from one to three and three to 10. And then every once in a while, this is why I was always fearful of flipping. As you grew and scaled, you always take the last money's last profit, last profit, but in this other property, because you got to scale, you got to grow. We're not scaling and growing. What are you doing? Right? At least that's the way it was until I learned about rigging in the game. Right. Um, and then you have a black swan event, like the Fed rate hike, and all those profits you put out there have just 
disappear disappeared altogether. Mm. All at once, kind of like a scene from uh, Avengers, right? When uh, when Thanos flipped a, snapped his thumb or snapped his fingers. Yeah, and uh, I love that you mentioned that because the risk profile of the business as you continue to grow it and scale it completely changes as well. What's the risk profile when you're doing three flips a month or let's just say three flips a year mm -hmm. versus 10 flips a year? Ooh, Dramatic. now you are really significantly more susceptible to a, a black swan event, as you mentioned. Mm -hmm. um, but, but oftentimes in our brains, we don't make that, that switch. And this is part of, why the rule of three and 10 is so powerful. And we have to look at it across risk, like employees, culture, um, systems and processes, cash flow. Like it's going to affect every aspect of the business. Yeah. A three. You said, uh, you said something on the whale club call the other day, right? Was that we, we more often, most business, more business go out of business for indigestion versus starvation right yeah and i think this is um in this context how i would think of that is the more complex a system the the higher risk of indigestion right yeah. it, it's it comes back to the whole system reliability thing and i don't know if we've talked about sometimes i forget where we talk about things because we talk mm -hmm. so much now and all of our whale whale calls and all that but the whole idea is System reliability essentially says everything is less than one. You can't have a 110% reliable system. It can only be less than 100 or 100 or less. And so the way that this works is if you make a, you know, somebody calls your business, they want to sell you a house. And 90% of the time you pick that phone up, let's say, uh, and there's, there's obviously a lot of other variables here. I'm just simplifying this to you know make it easy. 90% mm -hmm. of the time you pick the phone up and then 90% of the time you're closing. That'd be a killer close rate, let's just say. Oh, I, I would kill for that rate, yes. Yeah, so <clears throat> um, in that scenario, the system reliability is actually 0.9 times 0.9, which is 0.81. Mm. When you start adding more things to the system, it's multiplicative, which means the reliability is going to go down. Even if you added something that was 99% reliable, it's still going to go down. So the idea here is um, the more complex, the more things that need to go right in your business, the less likely that everything goes right. And yep. that's, I think we all intuitively understand that, but that is something that you're going to face as you grow a business. You, you're going to almost necessarily need to increase the complexity, mm -hmm. which means you're adding more things to the system that need to go right. And so the likelihood that it goes right is going to slowly go down. Um, and so if you're interested in growing and scaling a business, it's helpful to know that before, before time, right? So you right. can plan for it. And I think that's probably what we should talk about for the remainder of this show is like, what do we do about that? Okay, knowing, knowing what we know now, the investor frame says, knowing what I know now, what do we need to change about our business so that we can be prepared for these breakpoints? So before you do that, I want to share another thing. So please remember everything we just talked about. Maybe write it down. Uh, so I got it. <laughs> guys, these are what we talk about, right, on our whale club call. So like, you know, the last seven weeks in our last uh, cohort, 
I mean, Paul's talking about like getting clarity, getting your data together, helping you get absolute clarity on your financials even so that you can effectively, you know, make the right decisions for your business. On top of that, uh, we just cr- uh, put a uh, wealth assessment together. So if you're interested, go to wealthevaluation.com. I wrote something else about six pages, but it helps you figure out your current net worth, your budget, right? Like I, I give you everything you need to know. Ask yourself to figure out your budget and then figure out <clears throat> where you want to go and why it's so important. So again, I wrote out six pages, kind of give you the thought process on how to create wealth. Uh, and then we have our cheat sheet for rigging the game, which I'm still waiting for the poster to be made. But, you know, um, Dan Nicholson's book, Rigging the Game, there's, once you've read the book, there's a lot of incredible concepts in there. And the easiest way to reference those concepts is to have a cheat sheet. So go to whaleclubfreestuff.com uh, to get that cheat sheet. And then um, there was something else I was going to say, but uh, go ahead to your point. Um, you know, that cheat sheet is, I mean, incredibly helpful. Steve always starts this show off by saying that we are speaking like a slightly different language. You might not be familiar with all of the terms that we use, things like the parenting frame, the investor frame, the rule of three and 10, you know, the four lenses. We're not just making this stuff up out of thin air, right? right. I learned all of this directly from Dan Nicholson, who wrote that book. I went through a very extensive process for him to teach it to me. Steve has been working, you know, through this in the same way for the last, you know, eight months. And, um, that's where we get it from. So if you want to learn more about these things, first of all, go pick up rigging the game. Once you've done that and you want to see all these, uh, the frames, the issue processors, the growth principles, all this stuff put in a nice, easy graph, to make it easier for you to like ask your brain the questions as you, as you step through business decisions. Oh, it's been a huge tool for us. And so we use it all the time in the whale club. My team uses it and I highly recommend it. Uh, like Steve said, you can get that at uh, whaleclubfreestuff.com. You can just go download it. Right. So yep. check that out. But I remember what I was going to say. So if you guys just think about, right, like when you guys were a solopreneur, when you were first starting, right. If you didn't know what you were doing, you went out and created bandit signs. You put your cell phone number on it, and when they called, you got the call. That's it. That's 100% reliability, right? The only way it doesn't work is if the wind blows the bandit side down or the city walks around and picks up your sign. But beyond that, that is as close to 100% reliability as possible. And then we get call rail numbers, and then we put them on postcards. Paul knows about the postcards, right? <laughs> So we have different phone numbers on postcards. We've got different phone numbers on websites. And then when they call in, it goes in the call rail. And then maybe call rail is working, maybe call rail is not. Then it goes to your lead manager. Maybe your lead manager is working, maybe they're not. But we went from all these systems that are good systems, but none of them are 100% reliable. So is it necessary? Absolutely. But your cell phone on the bandit sign is the most reliable but we have these complexities that are necessary, but just what our point here is the reliability goes down each time we add a point. And to illustrate the point again, if, Paul, if you don't mind sharing your story again with your postcards. Sure. Um, <clears throat> here's the, here's the risk of, of this. And, you know, we were at, at our best, we were really only about doing about three deals a month in, in Denver. Our deals are much bigger here in this market. So, 
you know, that's a whole different conversation around comparison comparing myself to other people doing <laughs> 10 deals. And, you know, I struggle with that. But point is, is, you know, we're growing this business. We are, we had a lead manager, virtual lead manager. We had all this data that we're paying for. So we want to make sure we're cold calling and we're texting. And then we definitely want to make sure we're sending them direct mail. And then all that has to come in to the CRM and we got to make sure all our drip systems are set. And, you know, who's working all the leads and how do I fiddle with all the left main dials to make sure that, you know, it all looks cool so I can look at this dashboard and see all these things. Well, talk about system reliability. Uh, I put the wrong phone number on the postcard. And so we're sitting here, I'm spending, you know, months prepping for this. Oh, we got this great CRM. Oh, we're going to hire a, a new lead manager and we're going to do all these things and cold calling and texting and direct mail, yada, yada, yada. What happens to the system reliability when you put the wrong phone number on? And I'm sitting here saying like, well, what's going on? Why is these automations not working? Where are the leads? Where is this? But because there's so many things that need to go right. And one of those is you got to make sure you put the right freaking phone number on the postcard. Like that's the risk is now you start adding all of these things that need to go right. And even if you get nine, nine of them right out of 10, but one of them has a, has a 0% reliability because they're not going to be able to get in touch with you because they don't have the right number. What does that do to the reliability of the entire system? What's anything multiplied by zero, Steve? Zero. Zero. So if you got one goose egg in that, in that complex system, that's a zero. Your entire system is a zero. And that was the moment where I was like, oh man, <laughs> I don't know if I'm cut out to build this type of business. Yeah. So sorry to distract you and, and bring up past trauma. So moving on with your point. <laughs> you know, you know, you wear these things. If that hadn't happened, I might still be trying to build that business. Yeah. So, you know, uh, you never know what is quote good or bad. You know, at the time I was like, man, this sucks to have just burned $30,000 in direct mail over the course of two months. But in hindsight, how long would I have stayed trying to, you know, play somebody else's game before I realized like you, that's not your game, Paul, you need to play a different game. Um, okay. So obviously Steve and I represent sort of different ends of the spectrum here. Steve has a, a more complex business, right? And, and he operates that at a high level. One of the ways he's done that is by finding the who, not the how. I get that question all the time. Well, Paul, why don't you just go out and find the who? Not saying that's not a viable option. It is a viable option, right? They call those people COOs. They call them sales managers. They call them other things, right? Now, part of that is like saying, first thing that you need to consider as we're, um, how, do I, how do I reframe this? Ways to, to combat the rule of 10. One thing is you have to recognize you're going to constantly have to reinvent your business. Constantly. You have to recognize that. You have to be prepared for it. You have to be thinking about it. You can't become the turkey. Right? Because otherwise you're, you're exposing yourself to this event where everything just breaks and you're like, what happened? Everything was so good for so long. All right. So don't be the turkey. That's number one. Anything you want to add there? Uh, that's that's basically. I mean, I'm glad I got to read that book, uh, Andy Fragile, because whenever whenever anyone said don't be a turkey, I always took it as a different context. I don't know if that's the right context, but it, it has a completely different context for me. <laughs> yeah, 
So in this case, what that means is anticipate that the breakpoints are coming, especially if you're going from one deal to three deals. That's such a small, it's like you're tripling the business, but it doesn't seem like that big of a deal to go from one to three, but it is. Yeah. And your systems are going to break right then and there. So start preparing for it. The second thing is, I wrote this as like, leaders drive and support culture within the organization. When I started this business, I didn't know anything about leadership. I was an individual contributor. I was just a salesperson. I sold sales. I was, you know, was a traveling salesperson, never managed anybody. That was my biggest and, and, and first break point was like, oh, right. If I hire people and I'm just like, yeah, go, go sell houses. That's what we do on this team. Mm -hmm. And then I had sat around and wondered like, well, why are you guys not selling any houses? <laughs> it's like, well, Paul, because leaders drive support and culture within the organization, you could probably get away without any culture or leadership at one deal a month. Yeah. You're not going to get away with it at three deals a month. So my first realization is that if you want to grow and scale a business, you've got to start building leaders We lose him, Manny. Yeah, I see we're still streaming on YouTube, so we'll just gonna kind of uh, continue here. So while we wait for Paul to get back, I want to talk about. Oh wait, he's calling me. So we're gonna do a live troubleshoot. Hang on a second. Hey, Paul. I don't know. We're still going here. I can. Uh, we're still on YouTube. You're in. Uh, no, you gotta. Have, you're, you're gonna have to pop out and come back in. All right. Man, that was a really good point. I'm sure. All right. So while I wait for him to pop back in, hopefully his computer works. Um, you know, we're talking about one to three. So talk about flips. So just in my own personal experience, you know, um, my business, right? Like we have. I I had. I don't know why. I some people want to grow a big wholesaling company some people want to grow a big flipping company some people want to grow a, a big team with a bunch of realtors i just want a bunch of businesses i don't know why i really can't explain it but that's what i'm most fascinated about well, i guess potentially because i love entrepreneurship so running one business is pretty hard running two businesses pretty challenging as well once we got to three or four businesses we couldn't run it the way we were running before and so last year, we brought someone in whose sole role was to lead all the businesses. We got one guy who is, we'll call it a COO. We have one COO that supports all the other COOs, right? So talking about complexity, you don't need that. We got one company. But once we got to three, four, five companies, we needed one additional person to hold all the other businesses accountable. And then the other one, you know, um, I've got three kids. Well, having one kid, pretty good, right? Got two parents sharing all the love, 
or being difficult, you know, on one child. It works. Two, once we had two kids, yet two adults, two children in the house, it's still working. Man, once we had a third kid, I started feeling like I wasn't giving enough love to all three kids. The things that worked at one kid also worked on two kids. Did not work on three kids, you know. Uh, someone made the remark, I remember, uh, when uh, when we found out we were having a third kid, it's like, oh, you're going from a man defense to a zone defense. Like, oh, yeah, that, that sounds about right. So, uh, fortunately, you know, we have the, en- enough of an age gap where the older kids can help with the younger one. But at the end of the day, the things that worked at one or two kids did not work at three. By the way, had to get a bigger house. I had a house because of this, you know, the horrible financial situation we were in. I, I had a house where my mortgage rate got as low as 2%. I was never selling that property. It just never made sense. I don't care how small, tight, and cramped that house was. I was never selling that house. And then, once we had the third kid, there was just no way we could justify having three kids. I bought that house when I was single. There was just no way we could have three kids in that small house. So I had to bite the bullet and get a bigger house with a higher interest rate. So anyway, going back to your point, Paul. Yeah. Uh, Manny wanted to kick me out, I guess. He's like, get out of here. Uh, I don't know what happened, but, uh, we were talking about leadership and Mm -hmm. I, I am a, from everything I've learned and observed for people who operate real estate investing businesses at a really high level, they understand that one of the first break points is probably leadership. And, you know, I hear a lot of people in, in the whale club and myself included who have struggled to keep people right? It's a little like a revolving door. They just come in and out, in and out, in and out. Well, it could be because you have a break point in leadership, right? It it might mean that you have to elevate as a leader and that might mean investing in that. It might mean, you know, uh, sometimes you just got to do it longer. I think that's kind of what I found. I've gotten better at it the longer I've done it. Um, but you know, first of all, you, I think at, at three to go from one to three, it's about you becoming the leader that you need Mm -hmm. in order to go from three to 10. And I'm, I'm speculating because I've never done that, but what I hear and I observe from people who have done that is that they start to realize that because every time you add a new, you know, report, you add four hours to your day and with 10 people, you can't just be sitting around managing people all day long. You have to start enabling leaders inside of your company and building them up to become leaders, right? And so there is a million ways we could look at how to fix, or I should say deal with, uh, you know, scaling a business, growing a business, and it's fairly predictable when it's going to break. But those were some of the notes that I said is, it's like, it came down to leadership for me. I had to become the leader that I needed in order to have that type of a team. And I would imagine if I was to grow the business past that to 10, it's not about me becoming, you know, three, four times the leader that I am. And that might be the case. You might need to do that. But you also have to start enabling people inside of your company to step up and become leaders themselves. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's one of the things that I've, I've been so passionate about as far as personal development is trying to be the best leader I can be. And 
you know, one of the things that really helped a lot, again, I mentioned Larry Edge earlier, you know, hiring him as a consultant, mentor, not just me. So, you know, December of 2021, you know, Gary Harper was in our office and he was like, Steve, it's time for you to step out. Look at your business here. It's time for you to step out. To which I said, I'm not ready to step out. He's like, why not? I says, I've literally sat in every seat in every company, right? And all the companies we're looking at, I've literally sat in every seat. I cannot just pop out of it, right? Yeah. He's like, well, you're going to have to do it. I said, like, okay, for me to feel good, I need just one more training to have someone come in and train all the leaders within all my organizations. We hired, again, we hired uh, the, the former Navy SEAL. And when he came in and he taught my team leadership, it's like, you want to be part of it? I was like, uh, yeah, I want us all to be on the same page. And I started learning. It was like, wow, I was really short on leadership. I thought I was pretty good. I thought I was doing pretty good, but definitely not Navy SEAL good. And so grew a lot last year uh, in, in that as well. So uh, I think to your point, just, you know, you're saying like, you know, how much you have to grow as a leader. I don't know what it is. I don't know what the spectrum is, but where I thought I was in 2021 was not good enough. And it took 2022 really, the, uh, the growth in 2022 to survive the winter we've been talking about. Mm. Yeah. No, it's really good. Leadership was a big one. I've got a couple others that we can sort of touch on uh, as we sort of wrap the show up here. Mm. Um, first thing I said is you got you to gotta recognize you're going to have to constantly reinvent your business. That's a given. If you're, if you're you know, don't be the turkey, as we kept saying, right? The second yeah. thing is... I noticed that leadership was a big bottleneck. Um, and the bottleneck at the beginning is you becoming a leader for your team. As you grow, that changes to you enabling your team to become leaders. Right. That is a different thing from one to three than from three to 10. Um, so recognize that's probably coming. The second, uh, I guess the third, I don't know, whatever number we're on, but uh, be strategic about your reinventions, which means sometimes you might need to overbuild. Sometimes you might say, well, knowing that we're at four deals a month, five deals a month, and we're going to get to 10, but I don't have the resources. It's kind of like the little, like the levers, you know, mm -hmm. you, you gotta, you, you know, another way Dan would say this is uh, optimize before you maximize. Don't try to do everything all at once. You might say, well, it's good enough for now, but I can't do everything in the business at the same time. So, you know, if, if you're going to pour in triple the marketing efforts, what's the most likely thing to break? Let's go fix that. It might yeah. mean, yes, this probably will break at a certain point, but we got to optimize for the most important thing right now. So, you know, that was, that's something I'm constantly trying to remind myself of is you got to be strategic. You know, as we're growing our whale club community, I've got to be strategic about what we work on. Um, anybody who's come in to our free side of our community knows, uh, I mean, it's a little bit disorganized at the moment, if I'm admitting, mm -hmm. right? Because I'm optimizing for the whales, Right? We're optimizing for the people who have paid to join our community. And again, I, I don't mind giving insights into the businesses that we're building. This is the real world stuff here. Mm -hmm. right? Like I, We can't do everything. So what is most important right now is the success of the people who are in our community, who have paid to be in our community. That's the most important thing to me. So that's where I'm spending my time. 
but it also means that eventually other things are are also going to break. And if you're not spending time on the front end stuff, well, you're going to have this big slump. And so it, it just comes down to like, you got to optimize for the most important thing. Don't try to maximize and do everything all at once, but be strategic about what you're going to improve. Yeah, absolutely. So a couple of things, uh, uh, quotes or phrases I've heard in the years that hopefully, you know, kind of like hammers at the point here. So uh, Jim Collins in Good to Great talks about productive paranoia. Mm. Got to operate with productive paranoia. Uh, Andy Grove, one of the founders of Intel, you know, one of the things I think the title of his book was Only the Paranoid Survive, right? We got to plan with paranoia. And that might sound crazy. Uh, and again, guys, we got the, the cheat sheet. Go to whaleclubfreestuff.com. You guys want to do the wealth assessment? It's free. We charge nothing for it. But I, I, I think, <clears throat> from what, my own personal opinion, I'm biased. I think it is the best compilation for financial development that's free right you could go out and hire a coach and go get a consultant this is everything i put together is what i put together we're not charging for it but if you go through it and complete it you're going to get clarity on where you want to go clarity on where you are today clarity on how fast you're going to where you want to go and then also things to evaluate that might be good or bad in your business that may be hindering or helping you get where you want to go. So wealthevaluation.com, check that out. Hopefully that helps you guys as well. Yeah, you got to know where you're, you got to have clarity first. And that's what we talk about in the Whale Club is um, got to have clarity. Uh, last thing for how to deal with the rule of three to 10. And again, we only have an hour, so I have a million other things that I could think of, but I'm going to reference another one of Dan's principles, which is that we only innovate where we differentiate. There's a lot of people who have grown and scaled real estate investing businesses. And part of why I get so much value out of relationships and masterminds and learning from other people is that we don't need to reinvent everything. Oftentimes we can take what's worked and copy. And I know that like in school we were told like, you're not supposed to copy, but that's crazy. Why would we spend all this time and energy copying something like we don't differentiate with how we pull data, let's say. You don't necessarily, I mean, maybe you do. Point is, is like you don't want to spend your time on things that you don't need to. You should only be spending your time on thing on areas that you can innovate. So you you might have a small way to tweak the way that you pull data. You might have a small way to tweak the way that you lead your team or the way that you build out your CRM and all of the automations related to that. But I bet you the majority of it is copy and paste from what other successful people who have come before you and have built and scaled these types of businesses, why not take what they're doing, plug it right in to your business. If you've, if you've decided that this is the game you're going to play and that this fits with your solvable problem and you know clarity is important, now we've got clear on what we want, 
and we're going out and we're trying to build this business, why would, you know, why do you need to come up with some fancy way to do your accounting? Do you really differentiate in that? Or should you just go out and copy what's already working for those people and spend your time innovating in places where you do differentiate? You yeah, know? absolutely. I mean, our sales changed when we started copying a sales process that works versus yeah. trying to figure it out on our own. Um, and then, you know, why does school look down upon people copying answers? Well, the good thing is people listening to this podcast are probably not the kids that did well in school because you're an entrepreneur, good chance you get a little bit of shiny object syndrome. You weren't paying attention anyway. You're going to copy and paste school answers anyway. It's now encouraged in entrepreneurship. So this is your permission to go <laughs> copy what works. Right. Yeah. Stop trying to spend your time on areas where you don't differentiate. Go out and find the best person in the field. This is, comes back to also this idea of T learning versus I learning. It means, you know, there's there's a lot of businesses and in, in, out there that do accounting. There's a lot of businesses out there that do digital marketing, you know, and instead of trying to innovate in the process and all these different things, if you don't differentiate, why not just copy? Right. Yep. So as you're growing your business from three to 10, you can anticipate or from one to three, you can anticipate a lot of these breakpoints. And and a couple ways you can mit mitigate that, again, as we talked about, is one, know that they're coming. Don't be the turkey. Don't be surprised when your business breaks after you get to a certain point. Prepare for it. That's what good business owners do. Second thing is um, it's a leadership thing. Like, it oftentimes means you have to develop as a leader and then it becomes you have to develop your team as leaders. That's it's more of a personal anecdote for myself. I'm sure that's true for a lot of people listening, but that was true for me. Um, be strategic about your, your reinventions and, and only uh, and optimize for the most important thing. Don't try to maximize and do everything all at once. It's a good way to spin yourself out and then not do any of them very well. Go optimize for the most important thing at that time. Uh, and then lastly, only innovate where you differentiate. If you don't differentiate, then just copy. Copy what's already working. The best way to find out what's working is to get around people who are doing the businesses that you want to do. That's why we're such advocates for uh, masterminds and community in general, because you can get around people who have already solved that problem and you can just benefit from their effort. You know, as Randy Massengill likes to say, go to school on our tuition. It means like you don't have to pay for tuition. We've already gone. You know, we've made the mistakes. A lot of people. Mm -hmm. And I say we is like the community. Most of the time that you're involved with, they've made the mistakes. Just go copy what they've done. Yeah, exactly right. And then just to, to finalize that point, it's just resources are limited. Resources are scarce. You got to be the most effective and efficient as you can with your resources. So with that, we'll wrap up. And then we will see you guys next week. Bye, everyone.